Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Hi and welcome to another episode of Communication Mixdown. I'm Jennifer Martin and he's insisted I don't mention him, which means I must. The wonderful John Langer is panelling for me today. Thank you, John. So look, on today's show, we're putting Australia's justice system in the dock, asking just how well do courts communicate, not only with those facing the judge, but the rest of society who trusts this institution with keeping us safe. So with us today in the 3CR studio, we're really lucky to have Paul Conroy. Now, Paul is the Strategic Communications Manager of the County Court of Victoria, and that's the state's major trial court. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Jen, and hi, John. Look, um, Paul, as it turns out, you've had a really busy day today managing media coverage of the sentencing for a major culpable driving offence in the county court. Can you just talk us through what your day's been like and a little bit about this case? Uh, Yeah, Jen, it was an interesting day because uh, the judge involved, uh, Judge Hannon, allowed a camera into court, which is a little bit unusual in our court, but involved a very tragic case for uh, for all people concerned, but involved a driver. He was 20 years of age and um, he... um, Is he 20 or 22? I had 22. Yeah, when it happened, I think he was uh, 28 Uh, months or something like that. He just turned 22, I think. Mm. Um, But what happened is that he basically... Um, uh, sped through a uh, red light um, in the suburb of Atwood, which is in uh, near the Melbourne Airport, apparently, last year, and um, killed two uh, women. Um, and uh, one was fifty-seven, the other one was sixty-two. Um, and he was travelling about one hundred and thirty kilometres per hour. Um, and he was sentenced today to eight years, eight months uh, for this high-speed crash. So it was tragic for everybody involved and um, absolutely no winners in culpable driving cases, uh, of course, for both sides. Um, and, uh, you know, not even a longer jail term in any circumstances really doesn't make up for the loss of two lives. And just um, watching the news last night, it was seemed to be an incredibly emotional day for everyone in the court. It was one mm. of the most emotionally charged court reports I'd heard. I listened to Channel Channel Nine. Mm. Um, the victim statements were, were read out, mm. and that's what you call a plea. Um, that happens, obviously. Um, well, in this case, the accused uh, pleaded not guilty, but then he changed his plea. And there is a plea where basically all the parties uh, get together and uh, uh, the defence and prosecution put their case to the judge 
and then it's up to them to obviously hear also victim impact statements which are read out by family members in the court. It was a very emotional uh, day yesterday. I wasn't in court, but I hear even the accused was crying and uh, so tears all around. And, um, you know, when you hear stories like that, you really begin to realise that culpable driving cases are just tragic for everybody and concerned. Uh, as I said, no winners at all. Mm. Mm. And is that what drove the, the judge's decision to let the, the cameras into the courtroom? Yeah, I think um, we had a – they have this arrangement um, in the court where uh, the TV cameras or TV news networks will make available or contact me to see whether or not they can pull put a pull camera in there. So that involves meeting the cameraman downstairs at the court, getting through security, set coming to the court about 15 minutes beforehand, setting up. And they basically um, are done in a way where they're set up in the corner of the court, try to be as inobtrusive as possible. Um, the judge will come in and then they'll film it and they'll basically pull it out to the um, all the uh, TV networks. So it means it's sort of done in a way where, you know, you can imagine the scene involved in a court hearing like this one where nothing worse than having four cameras in the court. So there's a bit of a mutual understanding where um, they'll pull that out. But also it's a really important way of... Um, getting the judge's deterrent message out. For example, otherwise you'd have the reporter doing a sort of piece to camera who was saying what the judge said. So it's quite a powerful bit of message uh, messaging from the court. And um, in just reading out what some of the things she said, she said the tragedy is compounded by the fact that this was all, all completely avoidable. As drivers, we all owe each other a responsibility and we rely on each other uh, discharging those responsibilities. You will live with a certain knowledge that your conduct, conduct has caused the death of two members of our community. And she went on. So I think hearing that from the judge, hopefully it'll have, hopefully it'll have some sort of, sort of deterrent effect, fingers crossed. Well, it really drives home the point, doesn't it, that, yes, we are reliant on, on the good behaviour of fellow citizens. And when that fails and fails mm. so terribly, there's there's unimaginable and sadly, you know, terrible, terrible consequences for exactly. it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And also, too, this is this is an excellent example of the media um, cooperating with each other and, mm. and doing the right doing the right thing, pulling that material. They do do the same thing when they're covering state parliament as mm. well. But, look, this hasn't... This isn't something that's just happened overnight. It's been a long time coming. Do you want to talk about that mm. process of, well, you have to navigate all the time, don't you, between um, the court and the media? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's sort of true, as we know, Jen. Uh, you know, it's a key challenge for all public institutions sort of getting their message out to the community um, and um, especially the, uh, the courts, which are basically have a pivotal role to play in the justice system and... Um, obviously, there's a lot of public interest in their work. So, but they have to walk this sort of line between the constraints of, you know, the actual what goes on in the justice system, and the need to sort of communicate with the more wider community. So, it's a difficult sort of uh, line to straddle. You might have seen outside, you know, court, for example, magistrates' court, um, you know, uh, television crews clashing with family members and that sort of thing, because. Um, you know, they're sort of stumbling each other and the television crew is trying to get footage, you know. Yes. Um, and that sort of, there is a lot of tension. But I think once everybody gets in the courtroom, pretty much uh, pretty well behaved. But, you know, obviously we're sort of in this second decade of the 21st century where we're all sort of trying to figure out exactly easy way to communicate. And obviously social media and the internet is um, is a growing area. Um, and so, to some mm -hmm. extent the courts are really playing catch up with other public institutions. Yeah. 
can keeping keeping in mind this this need to you know play catch up and and keep up with what's going on at social media we we've had instances of people tweeting from the courts i think mm. the esteemed margaret simons from the center for advancing journalism has mm-hmm. that um title of being i think the first to tweet out mm. from the court but okay. what are some of the challenges and frustrations that are faced by the judges or the county court in their dealings with the media? Yeah, I think the thing that really frustrates a lot of judges, because there's 60, 65, 70 judges at the county court and they sit all over Victoria and they hear about 13,000 cases or matters per year. Um, So it's a huge sort of jurisdiction. But I think the thing that really frustrates them is that um, they're often not so much being criticised about sentences, but the fact that they don't are not properly explained in stories. And obviously there's constraints, isn't there, around what you can put in your story. But the thing that really um, gets up their goat is really just um, the reasons why they've handed down the decisions. For example, they just don't do it in a vacuum. They have to do it in accordance with sentencing principles and all those sorts of things and set by the Court of Appeal. And um, so it's that's the sort of the frustration that comes up, not so much around criticism, which, you know, um, you know, it's a contestable environment and I think but not properly explaining or even mis- misinterpreting information in the courts. Mm. Yes, yes. And I think what, you, what you've what you struck on there and what I'd like to talk a little bit about, Paul, is the lack of understanding within the media. Have you mm-hmm. seen um, in your time at the, at the county court or over time a, a drop in the number of court, designated mm-hmm. court reporters and a loss of, loss mm-hmm. of experience? As- Definitely, yeah. Well, I think generally the reporting is pretty good given the circumstances. But, for example, the age is now down to one reporter covering all the courts. The ABC is down to one, including online. Uh, the Sorry, her- let's, just, let's just stop. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you used to – this used to be your – your beat, didn't well, you? Well, yeah, you did doing police. Le- yeah, in yeah. legal affairs, yeah, for the age, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I've covered courts for yeah. ABC, and that's mm. say that again because that's a staggering drop, and our mm. our, re- our listeners won't won't know this. One mm. one reporter for the age, one for ABC covering all the courts. Yeah, correct. And well, the the second reporter at the age, um, she took uh, redundancy last time. But look, um, I mean, you probably might know a bit of a legendary court reporter guy called Steve Butcher, or heard of him. He yes. was covering courts for thirty-two years or thirty-three years. Mm. He knew everybody in the court. So still now getting, does. I know, I know. <laughs> He's uh, uh, and he built those contacts up, you know, after that period of time. So you know, when you get that sort of experience walking out the door, and that mm. was like four or five redundancies ago. So we're talking about four or five since then at Fairfax. Um, and, of course, um, there's actually four reporters at the Herald Sun, so they haven't cut back on numbers. But an interesting uh, growing area of, um, of court reporting is AAP, which now has about four um, court reporters working from in the court. So it's going more online, a wire service basis. Yeah. And what's what's your view of, of the experience of those reporters? Are they mm. younger reporters or are they people like Steve who have been mm. around for a while and are hanging in there fighting the good fight? There's some really good reporters, really young reporters. Um, unfortunately, what's happened, especially in television land, they're basically getting thrown into courts. You might have seen, yeah. heard or seen that court case last year in the Supreme mm. Court, um, which uh, you might want to outline, but that involved a, a reporter from Yahoo 7 who basically uploaded stuff from Facebook, from her own blo- from other blog material, cut and pasted it from the Herald Sun, posted it. Uh, about a, a case that was in the Supreme Court and actually aborted the trial. So, That's, it's interesting. They can't. Mm. No one can see me, but I'm just holding my head in <laughs> just 
Oh, that was yeah. that was a terrible incident and it was terrible on a number of levels. She should yeah. never have done that. She'd yeah. also done a journalism degree and should have known better mm. in her um, media training and her ethics training. She'd had that. But the ultimate responsibility lies with, with her bosses there mm. who um, – Pretty much just let that let her go, and that that's what happened. But that mm. aborted a trial. That was yeah. how much did that cost? That was that. Yeah, well, that's right. And also, they got fined three hundred thousand dollars, and um, you know, uh, basically, she got hauled down in front of the judge Lex Lazary for a please explain with her boss. Yeah, from Sydney. So that was pretty embarrassing, I would imagine. Yeah, very yeah. much. And also, um, I did feel sympathy for her mm. as well. I just thought. You know, you, you need training, you need protection, and it, I thought it was um, very indicative of mm. everything that's happening in journalism yeah. overall. Yeah. Paul, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, not really, but um, it's been great to come along and have a chat about um, the courts and hopefully uh, going forward we'll be able to um, basically build in terms of our outreach to the community and using our own website basically. With the traditional media, that business model continuing to fail, then... Obviously, we want to really more have direct connection with the community, and that includes 3CR listeners. And we will definitely put all those details up on our website, but Mm. I I would just say I thought your website was excellent. You can just, you know, get across so many cases. There's so Mm. much information. So I would um, urge all our listeners to to run an eye over it because it's um, our community. We need to know what's going on. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Great to be here. Thank you. So I just need to kill up this song now. Yarra City Council present Leaps and Bounds Music Festival 2017 from the 13th to the 23rd of July. Celebrating <laughs> 40 years since Melbourne's first punk gig, Bakehouse hosts Why Punk discussing its existence. Catch the All Ages shows featuring Philly and Boessa at the Turn Up or Ms Risk for Groovers in the High Tea. Head to Bar Open for a show every night of the festival or catch the smooth grooves of the meltdown. For participating venues and tickets, visit leapsandboundsmusicfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. everyone who participated in our listener survey earlier this year. You provided us with some great insight into what you really love about 3CR and what we could do better. We'll be working towards improving our on-air programming and look forward to your continued involvement. Remember you can give feedback to the station anytime via our website, Facebook page or by calling the station and leaving us a message. Thanks for listening. In 
stage two of our cross-examination of Australia's legal system, I'm joined with Melbourne University PhD student Annie Blatchford, and she's researching how the rules of evidence influence how the media reports intimate partner homicides. Now, Annie has interviewed court reporters, she's analysed media reports, and she's also spent hours sitting in on a Supreme Court murder trial. Annie, welcome to Communication Mixdown. Hi, Jen. How are you going? I'm really well. Look, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Pleasure. Look, I just want to begin with asking you why you wanted to research this particular topic and why you think it's so important. Um, that's a hard question. Uh, I always start off with a hard question, Annie Blatchford. <laughs> so I guess I, I was doing some work as a research assistant on the media's reporting of violence against women um, in Victoria and something that just kept coming up in this work was how difficult it is to report on violence against women and incidents of violence against women um, when faced with a number of legal restrictions, particularly because a lot of these these stories are about things that are happening in the courts. Um, yes. And so that sort of led me to think that it's possibly an area that needs more clarity for the media, um, but also the media get a lot of slack um, about their reporting of, of incidents in the courts, but I don't think that those criticisms often fully recognise all the sort of um, hurdles that journalists have to go over when reporting on matters that go through the courts. Yes, I was um, just thinking that I don't think the community is really aware of just the kind of very heavy restrictions um, that lead to this, what looks like quite stilted and stilted reporting that looks as if it's mm. hiding something. So do you want to just, um, for our listeners, just take us through some of those restrictions? Sure. So I'm focusing on the reporting of, of murders in particular. Um, and for that, you've got from from the very early stages of, of when the crime is committed, um, you have subjudice contempt which means that you can only report things, you can only report the bare facts and you can't report anything that may um, ultimately prejudice the trial. Uh, you've also got issues around reporting proceedings about intervention orders, which are almost always um, involved in these cases. Uh, you also have a lot of restrictions around um, identifying parties of family court proceedings. And again, that's sort of interwoven into these cases quite frequently. And then in terms of, of um, other cases, you've also got uh, identification restrictions on um, victims of sexual assault and children and so forth. And, and that's just a few, really. There's also suppression orders, of course, that come up in the court. Um, yeah. Yes. So... It's, it's interesting. I was just I'm getting back to this idea of, of identifying. You can unwittingly um, or, you know, identify someone, say, in the case of if it's spousal rape, if you mm. a, a reporter can, you know, follow procedure and, and name, you know, the person accused of it, but by doing that can um, inadvertently identify exactly. the victim. So it's an absolute um, minefield. And, of mm. course, the consequences of doing the wrong thing um, – can be devastating. Exactly, yeah. So um, I think you just talked about it previously, but the, the Yahoo 7 journalist that led to the um, a trial, which was a, a um, domestic homicide, 
uh, being aborted and then having to have a retrial and putting the families in particular through that is just quite horrific. It really is, isn't it, when you think of everything that they've had to go through to get to that point and mm. then have to go through it again, let alone the, the financial cost to the to the community as well. Yeah. And Annie, I'm very interested and if you could just, you know, take your time and um, talk us through this. You've you've spent time analysing these reports, but you've also spent a lot of time where most of us haven't, which is inside, you know, the, the walls of the Supreme Court. Um, at a murder trial um, and I'd be very interested in your insights into how um, victims of family violence are, are treated or just what you've seen and what your experience of that was. Sure. So um, it was a six-week murder trial. Uh, the accused um, was charged with murder of his former wife. Uh, he was found guilty Um it, in terms of the, the representation of, of the victim throughout, um, a, a lot of my thesis I'm coming to find is that the importance and, and the influence of the rules of evidence, um, watching witness after witness after witness uh, give evidence and attempt to sort of tell the story of what, what had happened and, and tell the story of the victim is quite stilted uh, because the rules of evidence are so structured and so strict. Um, so a lot of a lot of relevant things may not be admissible and therefore can't be said in court before the jury and therefore can't be reported by the media either. And so it's quite um, it's quite hard to watch in a way that the victim often becomes silenced and the focus is on on the the murder itself and the very sort of intimate surrounding circumstances of the murder. Um, Did that shock you, Annie? Were you expecting that, or uh, I think I it's been researched and written about before um, mm. in a lot of different contexts. The way cross examination and and the rules of evidence sort of have that effect, but to see it in action and see um, the actual family members and friends in court having to go through that for six weeks, day after day. Um, it's quite yeah. It was it was still shocking. It was still hard to watch. Um, Harrowing is yeah. the word that that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. When I think of that, and what about the reporters? Um, you know, were they? Do they show their frustration, or are they used to it? Did you? Let's talk about your interviews with the reporters. How do they handle this? Because journalists want to tell the truth. They want to, yeah. you know, give the facts. They want to get the story there. As you say, the the victim's story seemed to be silenced in so many ways. Mm. So full disclosure, my interviews are still to come. Okay. Uh, with the journalist because the trial well, only just you could always a make it up. Through. We could do some fake <laughs> fake research. I, no, don't do that. We don't do I that on communication mixed down. No, of course not. <laughs> We'd um, never so do I, that. I do know that uh, from another researcher who's been looking at the way the media reports sexual assault cases where there's um, AFL players involved, she has actually done some interviews recently with court reporters and one thing that um, stuck with me actually was that they always, uh, one person I think reported that they found it a relief when a trial had finished and they were able to write an article that sort of gave more information that they'd been previously allowed to give throughout the trial. So from that alone, um, it's clear that they that person was frustrated throughout the process of um, reporting the trial, but once it's 
finished and subjudice contempt is no longer an issue, you often see articles that go into more detail, the interview family members, talk about evidence that wasn't um, that wasn't let in throughout the trial. And so I think those articles are really important. They are, and there have been some um, incredibly moving um, mm. articles, isn't it? And that it is when the journalists can really capture the pathos of everything that everyone has gone through and convey that convey that to the community. Exactly. So, Annie, look, understanding you're still in the early stages of your research, you haven't interviewed the journalists yet, but even so, you've had so much more exposure um, to this than than most of us. What are some of your observations um, that you think may help um, communication between the courts and the media, ways in which it can maybe be improved? Um, I think it's a hard one because, again, as you were talking about earlier, um, you know, there's only one reporter from one outlet and the pressures that would be so intense on these court reporters that they can only pop in and out of cases. They can't attend all cases. They're very much reliant on getting information from AAP reports or other media articles um, or their sources within the courts. So I think it's problematic that there are so little um, court reporters now. Yes. I guess a way of sort of trying to accommodate with that is um, just ensuring that the relationships with with court staff um, are strong and yes. that there is open communication between between the two so there's accuracy uh, in the reports um, would be one thing um, yes well look I think that's I think that's a good place to end it there Annie yeah. because we're hitting the ball right back over the net to Paul Conroy with oh, his great. job as strategic <laughs> communications we'll just tell him to keep those keep those lines of communication open but Annie thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this today um, really appreciate your insights thanks for having me yep and good luck with those um, research interviews thank you very much okay so this ends our trial of Australia's justice system and that's also it for another episode of Communication Mixdown for this week. We're back here next Thursday.